0: a hot August, and an even hotter political climate. They did tell us that it includes a roadmap for the investigation. A federal judge orders the Justice Department to redact the affidavit used to justify the FBI's search of former President Trump's home, as the DOJ fights to keep it sealed. I will be doing whatever it takes to keep
1: Donald Trump out of the Oval Office.
0: Congresswoman Liz Cheney loses her primary race but vows to fight
1: on. Plus...
2: For this law, the American people won and the special interests lost.
0: President Biden signs his landmark health care and climate priorities into law. But will Democrats be able to cut through the noise of Trump headlines next?
3: This is Washington Week.
0: Good evening and welcome to Washington Week. This week, President Biden signed the Inflation Reduction Act into law. It's one of his biggest domestic achievements yet, and Democrats say it will do a number of things, including lower health care costs and tackle climate change. Yet, as the White House was celebrating its win, for the second week, former President Donald Trump was dominating the headlines. The fallout from the FBI's search and seizure of classified documents from his mar a home continues. On Thursday, a judge ruled the Justice Department must, must redact parts of the search affidavit ahead of possibly releasing it. And there were even more Trump headlines. On Tuesday, in a landslide, Representative Liz Cheney of Wyoming lost her primary race to Trump-backed candidate Harriet Hegman. Cheney is the eighth of, the, of 10 Republican House members who voted to impeach Trump to lose the primary or retire. During her concession speech, Cheney made clear she was not willing to embrace Trump's election lies in order to get on the path to win re-election.
2: The path was clear, but it would have required that I go along with President Trump's lie about the 2020 election. It would have required that
1: I enable his ongoing efforts to unravel our democratic system and attack the foundations of our republic. That was a path I could not and would
0: not take. Quite a statement. Joining me to discuss this and more, Peter Baker, Chief White House Correspondent for The New York Times. And here at the table, Eugene Daniels, White House Correspondent and co-author of Politico's Playbook, and Susan Page, the Washington bureau chief of USA Today. So, of course, thank you all of you for being here. We have to dig into this week. Peter, I want to start with you because it was quite a legal week, a week of legal challenges for former President Trump. There are so many things, including we should also add his top executive um, pled guilty to, to charges that he was engaged in a long-running tax scheme. I wonder, when as someone who's covered former President Trump for so long, uh, what do you make and what are you hearing from your sources, including people from Trump world, about the significance of all this to him personally and politically?
2: Yeah, look, it's been, as you say, an extraordinary week, an extraordinary couple of weeks for this former president. So many different legal issues, you know, climbing uh, toward him all at the same time, from New York and Georgia and, of course, the federal government and now this search in, in Mar-a-Lago. It's, it's a rather extraordinary. Obviously, we use the word unprecedented too many times when it comes to this president, but it really is true in this case. And look, you know, in the Trump world, you hear a mixture of bravado. You know, this will help us with our base. This will convince the base that we're under attack that we're, you know, they, they he's, he's done a great job over the years of playing into the politics of grievance. And this will be, you know, his message going forward, as we see again and again in the uh, last few days, they're out to get me, uh, you know, the FBI is guilty of atrocities. That's the word he used. Uh, today on his social media page. But there's also a lot of quiet nervousness, I think, in Trump world and in 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 the outer orbits of Trump world, where they just assume this not be the dominating story. They would rather be talking about the Republican message of the fall, which is that inflation is still really high, that President Biden's popularity is still really low, that they have a really good chance of taking the Congress or at least the House. But instead, what they're talking about is, is it legal for a president, a former president of the United States, to walk off with papers that may have nuclear and what would be the reason he would do it? Why is he doing that? And I think that that's, you know, quietly uh, the, the, the the rather deep river of concern you hear among a lot of Republicans, even if they're not willing to say it out loud. A deep river of concern
0: is definitely one way to describe what's going on. And, Susan, uh, we we're talking about, so of course, the fight over the affidavit, but we already learned some things about the search um, this week. We saw in a search warrant application that part of this was um, potential claims could be, quote willful retention of national defense information. What do you make of what we've learned so far about this investigation? And in some ways, what do you think we might learn
1: if this affidavit is made public? Well, if the affidavit is made public, as the judge has indicated he is inclined to do, uh, we will know more about what the information was that the Justice Department had that made them think it was so serious and so urgent that they took this extraordinary step, this unprecedented step to serve a warrant on the home of a former president and search and seize documents from it. That's just not something we have ever seen in our history. We will know more if we get the affidavits. But we do know they're looking at possible violations of several laws, including the Espionage Act. Uh, so this is, uh, you know, when you look at it, it's sometimes you feel like you need a scorecard. With Donald Trump, with the number of legal actions that he and people close to him are involved in at this point, but this has to be the most serious action legally we've seen involving this president, or perhaps any president.
0: Certainly, um, and Eugene, the government, the Justice Department now has until Thursday to redact and and for this affidavit that might possibly be released. You've been speaking to legal experts about what we might learn. What have you heard in your
3: reporting? Yeah, Susan's right, but they also say that. You know, the government likes to redact. We all have seen those documents. There's just a lot of blackout spaces and that there probably will be a lot of pages where you just see the n- page number on the actual document. Um, and so they have been trying to temper um, the excitement down for a lot of us reporters who think we're going to find out a ton in these documents, that we're going to know exactly what the um, Justice Department told the judge to go – to be able to go into the home. Um, and so that's where we're all kind of waiting and watching, because the Justice Department in the federal government is usually given a lot of leeway with judges and the legal system when they say, you know, we can't tell people this, people shouldn't see this. And so as we wait and watch, I think um, folks who think they're going to know exactly what um, they think is it was in the House and all of that good stuff, probably not going to see that.
0: Uh, Some good caution you're urging there, Eugene, (laughs) (laughs) uh, that we might all be looking at black pages after all Uh of this. uh I want to also ask you, Eugene, about this conversation that's happening in Trump world about whether or not former President Trump Will release surveillance video tied to the search. There are a lot of people who are worried about the identities of the FBI agents who carried this out. We even see the judge dealing with threats. Um, we heard a number of officials say that um, law enforcement officials are now receiving even more threats after this search. What are you hearing, and what can you tell us about sort of the implications of all of this as it relates to sort of the violence and, and threats that people are dealing with?
3: You know, that is something that le- the experts on um, the it, folks in that world are really worried about, because they have seen an increase in threats. We saw the um, attack on the on the FBI field office and all of these types of things. So when you talk to them, they're hoping that they want everything to temper down. That is not what happens with Trump or, or <laughs> Trump. Well, we haven't seen no. that <laughs> over six years. Um, and so the concern is that um, there might be further violence, the threats are terrifying. And so if President, Bi- if President Trump is going to release that surveillance, we see those folks, that feels like that feels like there's going to be a target on their back um, as they move forward in their lives. And I will say, we've seen President Trump promise a lot of things um, that he was going to do. I'm going to release this. This is coming in two weeks was a famous thing during his presidency. So it's possible that he might just be making this threat and we don't actually ever see something. Um, but that is, again, one of those things we're going to have to wait and see if that actually comes out.
0: We're definitely going to have to wait and see. And, and Peter, um, we have been talking about the, the raid, and there was a lot of focus on the DOJ, um, I should say DOJ search, um, not a raid per se. But we also need to point out that former President Trump's longest-serving employee, um, he pled guilty this week um, to being engaged in a long-running tax scheme here. I want to know, he has said though he was going to refuse to implicate Trump and members of his family, but he could be called to testify against the Trump organization, the Trump company. What's the significance of that, given all the other legal things that we've been talking about?
2: Well, look, I think it's a big deal in the sense that this is not just some side character, not some coffee getter in the office. This is a guy who was President Trump's right hand guy when it came to finances for many, many years. As you rightly point out, and he's going to plead guilty or pleading guilty now to fifteen felonies, fifteen felonies. And it's not like they're you know, he was ripping off uh, uh, Trump. he was, in fact, part of a scheme, according to prosecutors, managed by the Trump Organization. So, no, he's not going to implicate the former president directly or his family, according to reports, but he is going to potentially testify against the Trump Organization. And the truth is there's not that much of a difference between the Trump Organization and the Trump family. The Trump Organization is the Trump family. So when you say the Trump Organization has committed a crime, as prosecutors have, what you're saying is the Trump family has committed a crime. And I think that's a big deal that shouldn't be lost in the middle of all this. Now, that doesn't have anything to do with his presidency directly. but I think it is, uh, you know, one more piece of the legal puzzle that is facing a former president. Again, not, like nothing we've seen. There's this New York investigation. There's this Georgia uh, investigation of election uh, manipulation, basically, going on down there. There's this January 6th investigation now, this, this uh, you know, secret document investigation, so many different legal issues involving the former president uh, that at some point you wonder whether any of them uh, begin to weigh him down or not politically. And you bring up the January 6th investigation. The other news that we heard
0: this week was that former Vice President Mike Pence said that he might consider testifying before the January 6th committee. Um, There are some who are saying you really need to be sort of cautious about this, because he did really temper what he was saying. But I wonder what you make of the fact that that the vice president, Peter, that he might um, come before this committee that is looking at whether or not former President Trump try to bring American democracy to its knees. And of course, he was someone who refused to leave the Capitol on that day.
2: Yeah, look, I think that would be very important. He's the one voice we really haven't heard from when it comes to the most important voice. Anyway, we haven't heard from uh, about the events of January 6th. We know what he did. We know what he refused to do. We know the danger he was in. But in his public comments in the last year and a half, he has always tried to take a very tempered Uh, I think that was the word you used, it's certainly the right word, approach to this, saying he stands by his decision to to uphold the Constitution, that the president of the United States had no right to tell him to somehow overturn the election, but he hasn't exactly given us his narrative account of that day, of the threat that he faced, of the the people out there who were chanting, hang Mike Pence, of the the Secret Service rushing him to safety, his refusal to leave the Capitol because he didn't want to be uh, intimidated into, you know, uh, stopping the constitutional process of counting the votes that was going on. So I think his voice would be very important. It's not unprecedented. There has been a time when a former, when a sitting president actually did testify before Congress. I'm thinking about Gerald Ford, who agreed to come to Congress to testify about his decision to pardon Richard Nixon, an event that was also very big in the minds of Americans at that time, because he felt that Americans deserved to hear his uh, answers to those questions. It would be interesting to see if Mike Pence would do that. He's already authorized his chief of staff and chief counsel to testify, but we've not heard from him directly, I think, for a matter of history and a matter of, uh, you know, just remembering how this event really took place, that would be important. And Peter, that's why we
0: have you on the show, to get, to bring together the Nixon and the Trump and the Gerald Ford, mm-hmm. to bring it all together so we know exactly how, how all of this fits into the history of America. Susan, um, another thing that we have to, of course, talk about is Liz Cheney. You are someone who is the best person to talk about this um, because you've written several books about women and politics. And I wonder when you talk about, think about who she is, um, she's vowing to fight on. What does success look like for Liz Cheney and how much can she really impact, given the fact that she is now in some ways the face of the anti-Trump movement in the Republican Party? But also she's she, there's it's a lonely island of people who are willing to do what she's doing.
1: She lost by this primary by 37 percentage points. That is a pretty stunning number. It's a message from Republicans in Wyoming that she was not representing them. It's a sign of the hold that Donald Trump continues to have over the Republican Party and yet. She has emerged as a person of stature on the January 6th committee. Uh, She has uh, tremendous ability to raise money, which she demonstrated in that Wyoming race. She will be able to do that, to raise money for other uh, uh, causes if she wishes. She has indicated that she may run for president, and the the, the chance of her running as an independent, I think, is less likely, because that would probably help uh, Donald Trump uh, win again. It probably would hurt uh, Joe Biden or whoever the Democratic candidate would be, but to mount a campaign against Donald Trump in his own party uh, for a nomination would give her a platform to continue to make the kind of arguments that she's been making.
0: And, and Eugene, when you think about sort of what's happening with Liz Cheney, we can't not talk about what's also happening on the Senate in the Senate races because there are a number of Trump-backed candidates who are struggling in Georgia, in Pennsylvania, um, in Arizona. Mitch McConnell even said this: "Quote, Senate races are just different. They're statewide. Candidate quality has a lot to do with the outcome. Candidate quality." From Mitch McConnell talking about that, talk to me a bit about how you see this, especially. In relation to what's going on with Liz Cheney, but also the Republicans having to to look look at this
3: with some reality here. Yeah, yeah. a little shade from Mitch McConnell. (laughs) They're talking about some of those candidates, Herschel Walker. (laughs) (laughs) Herschel Walker. You know, and so you when um, this was the kind of worry that Republicans had last year when we asked them, you know, Donald Trump has said he's going to be meddling in the primaries, picking candidates. Does this concern you? And behind closed doors, never in front of a camera or on the record, would they say um, it would, but it did. Right. They were worried that he was going to pick people who were just in his image, people who um, had never run for office or had never held office before, especially um, as high of an office as the Senate. And now you have all of these candidates who are either way behind um, where Republicans should be. I'm talking about 11 points in Pennsylvania, for example, with Oz. We saw seven points with Ron Johnson, who's a sitting senator in Wisconsin. And so um, Mitch McConnell has said this, other Republicans are saying, you know, how, how do we shift money, where is the path to taking the Senate? And things have been going well for Joe Biden and, and Democrats over the last couple of weeks, and so they're feeling really good. But I think a lot of it is things that have been going badly for Donald Trump, the head of the party. And then you have these Senate candidates who either don't seem to know what they're talking about. Um, Oz has been kind of painted as a carpetbagger, who's not from Pennsylvania, doesn't understand Pennsylvanians, yeah. and that is going to probably continue. So Republicans are very concerned about actually flipping the Senate.
0: And And, Peter, put Liz Cheney um, and all that's happening into, into context for us when you think about the fact that she is the daughter of former Republican Vice President Dick Cheney.
2: Yeah, I think that's an important point to make. Now, of course, obviously, the Cheney family was not, uh, you know, the favorite of a lot of Americans on the political left. But today, obviously, a lot of them do respect her, even if they don't agree with her on the positions on the issue because of her decision. And and think about what this, uh, what she decided to do here. How often do we see in politics somebody who decides to stand on what they consider to be a point of principle, whether you agree with her or not, stands on what she considered to be a point of principle, knowing it's going to cost her her office. That doesn't happen very often in Washington. And she said something to me a couple weeks ago in an interview that I thought was really striking. I hadn't heard her say this before. She said that when she watches the video of Mike Pence being evacuated from the Capitol uh, room where he had been hidden in order to escape a mob that was trying to kill him, she sees in her mind her father. Dick Cheney, then the vice president, being evacuated from his office in the White House on 9-11 to the bunker underneath the White House to save his life against a potential hit by a hijacked plane. And the, she makes that connection, which is really fascinating me. And what that told me in that moment when she said that, I suddenly got it. For her, you know, Trump is the existential threat that her father saw in al-Qaeda she sees Donald Trump as an existential threat to American and American democracy, and therefore she is going to be as mission-driven as her father was. Again, we can argue about what her father did or didn't do or whether, you know, it was the right thing or not. But what's, what's striking to me is it's that, that fierce determination to do what she thinks is the right thing in order to protect the country from what she considers to be a threat. And I thought that was a really fascinating comparison that she made, because revealing about her.
1: It also shows how incredibly Disruptive Donald Trump has been in our political system in both parties. He beat Jeb Bush, uh, the mem- a member of a famous political dynasty for the primaries, Republican primaries in 2016. He beat Hillary Clinton, a uh, member of the most powerful family in the Democratic politics in that election. Now he's defeated uh, Liz Cheney, the daughter, uh, another man- political royalty yeah. uh, in the Republican Party. He has Donald Trump has reshaped our politics in such fundamental and far-reaching ways that we're going to be dealing with this for some time to come. And just
3: just quickly to add, with with Liz Cheney, she's going to be creating creating a leadership pack where the stated goal, the one goal, is to make sure Donald Trump doesn't get into the Oval Office. And now that she doesn't have, she won't have a job come January. She's going to have a lot more time to attack him and do that and give money to like-minded candidates as we move forward to 2024.
0: It's so much to talk about, and certainly someone to keep watching Liz Cheney. Um, We have to, of course, say that, meanwhile, President Biden took a victory lap as he signed the Inflation Reduction Act into law. He also um, said that, despite this and other recent legislative wins, we should note, Democrats remain concerned about his low. Approval ratings. So, Eugene, I want to come to you about this idea. How concerned are Biden and Democrats that as they're having these big legislative wins, they're being drowned out by the Trump headlines. Yeah,
3: yeah, they're feeling pretty good about themselves, but they do realize that no one's really paying attention to like the victory lap that they started to take this week. You had three um, members of the cabinet out on the same day. The mem- the cabinet's gonna take 35 trips to 23 states between now and the end of August. And they're not getting a lot of attention. So they know that. But they're hoping is that they've been able to give these some of these down ballot candidates a boost so they can go out and share the message of what this administration has been able to do but they also are not foolish into thinking this is going to make Joe Biden be a super popular president some of the things that were true three weeks ago inflation um, at all times high still very um, is still very true the good thing for Democrats is a lot of these Senate Democrats running in these Senate primaries in the Senate general election um, matchups they're going going to be running ahead of Joe Biden and where how unpopular he is in these states.
0: And, and Peter, in the minute or so we have left here, um, you wrote this week a headline that we have to read out loud, which is, even on Biden's big day, he's still in Trump's long shadow. Talk about that in, in a minute or so.
2: Yeah, I think that's right. What you, Eugene just said is exactly right. I mean, it, you know, it, it, it's hard to compete with the circus that surrounds a former president. We haven't seen anything like this in modern times, where a sitting president has such a hard time getting through. But they're going to take that contrast and try to make that the argument. Do you really want to have uh, the party that cares about extremist politics and Donald Trump and the FBI search and all that, or do you want somebody who has delivered finally at last, maybe belatedly, de- on the things that you, that is, liberals and, and Democrats especially, think are important? He's trying to bring back the people who are disenchanted from him who voted for him yeah. two years ago, not trying to convince Republicans who, who never are going to be for, for him to begin with.
0: And, Susan, in a couple seconds here, you also wrote that unprecedented is an adjective that Trump now owns, and he sells the power to shock and awe. Um, what? What? So explain a little bit of that.
1: Well, you know, it's this. Uh, it's this search at Mar-a-Lago. I mean, who? How, what? What are we to make of that? Uh, it, it, it's it, it's extraordinary, and we don't fully understand it, but we will fully understand it at some point, and I look forward to that day.
0: Yeah. Um, well, a lot to cover, uh, especially as Democrats. When I talk to them, as Eugene reported, they're feeling good about their achievements, but this Trump headline is just going to continue to go and go. So thanks so much to our panel for joining us and for sharing your reporting. Don't forget to stick around for the Washington Week Extra. We'll discuss the one-year anniversary of the U.S. withdrawal from Afghanistan and its political consequences. Find it on our website, Facebook, and YouTube. And before we go, tomorrow, tune in to PBS News Weekend for a look at the FDA's decision to allow over-the-counter sales of hearing aids. Thank you for joining us.